Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Janet Bignall QC and I'm joined today by Martin Dre, my colleague at Falcon Chambers. Thank you for joining us. We are just turning over some thoughts together about turnover rents, new lettings and the 54 Act. In this podcast, Martin and I ask whether the inclusion in commercial leases of a bespoke turnover rent clause should or can become a significantly greater part of the new normal, specifically in the hard hit retail and leisure sectors. Indeed, the agreement of a turnover rent is one of the potential options identified by the government in its code of practice for commercial property relationships during the COVID-19 pandemic, which was also published today, the 19th of June. Issues of valuation are central to both our practices, one aspect being the factors surrounding the setting of an open market rent. We often act in rent reviews and lease renewals under the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954 Part 2. The Times recently carried an article entitled Rent Deals Will Be Linked to Turnover, Say Landlords. The paper cited research by Colliers International and quoted their survey of the owners of more than 120 million square feet of retail property. Colliers' findings were reported to reveal that almost 80% of retail property landlords expect the pandemic to bring permanent changes to the terms on which shops are occupied, and that more than 40% of landlords are more likely to consider factors such as footfall and turnover when deciding and asking rent. It's telling that just this week, it has been reported that Boohoo has purchased Oasis and Warehouse from administration, but without taking on any of their retail units. The use of turnover rents is a model which encourages greater risk sharing between landlord and tenant and a stronger partnership between them. As such, it may be thought to fit well with the government's pandemic policy of urging landlords and tenants to cooperate to their mutual benefit. In its simplest form, a turnover rent is a rent payable to the landlord calculated by reference to the turnover generated by the tenant from the business premises let to it. Often a turnover rent couples a basic set payment, so the landlord obtains some income from its premises come what may, with a top-up percentage payment, which varies based on the tenant's actual turnover. One of the benefits of considering greater use of turnovers in present times is that it's not new. Turnover rents are commonplace in other European countries and America. They've been around for many years in the UK. By way of just one example, the online model commercial lease project, originally commissioned by the British Property Federation, includes three sample leases containing turnover machinery. There are precedents readily available for consideration and to be adapted. 
As compared to the traditional open market rent machinery, it's well established that in times of recession, turnover rents are thought to be more favourable to tenants. The tenant's liability to pay is related to its ability to pay. The greater use of turnover rents is therefore a particularly topical idea when the closure of premises during lockdown means some tenant companies have been unable to meet their rental obligations and some landlords have been deprived of their income and when a temporary moratorium on commercial landlord enforcement to recover rent arrears has been put in place. In addition, these are times which have caused some tenants to consider potential arguments such as the application of the doctrine of frustration and the application of force majeure clauses to terminate or reduce their obligations altogether. The impact of high historic open market rents and the operation of upwards only rent review clauses is also thought to have contributed to some tenants resorting to the use of company voluntary arrangements. Some CVAs, it's rumoured Jamie's Italian was one, have actually included terms which replaced the traditional open market rental payments previously made to some of the company's landlords with the payment of a turnover rent for certain units to support continued trading. But the turnover rent model is not all about some tenants' needs. A fact supported by the welcome embrace of turnover rents in some landlord quarters already. The model positively suits some landlords as the production of the model commercial lease project demonstrated. A rent linked to turnover means the landlord shares the enhanced benefits of the good times as well as the burdens of the bad. A rent linked to turnover also provides a more reliable means of setting a practical rent in circumstances where it's difficult to assess an open market rent through the use of good comparables. But how does the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954 Part 2 fit into that picture? Martin has some ideas. Thank you, Janet. So the question is, can a turnover rent, whether one in which the initial rent is fixed by reference to turnover, or a true or full turnover rent, in which the rent is a variable sum based on turnover, be set on a 1954 Act lease renewal? Well, there is no clear authority and hence no firm answer to the question. But we suggest that the appropriate riposte is, why not? Section 34 simply states that the rent payable under a tenancy granted by order of the court under this part of this act shall be such as may be agreed between the landlord and the tenant or as in default of such agreement may be determined by the court to be that at which having regard to the terms of the tenancy other than those relating to rent the holding might reasonably be expected to be let in the open market by a willing lessor. They're being disregarded. A, any effect on rent of the fact that the tenant has or his predecessors in title have been in occupation of the holding. And B, any goodwill attached to the holding by reason of the carrying on thereat of the business of the tenant 
whether by him or by a predecessor of his in that business. Now, the first and an obvious but important point to note is that the parties can do anything by agreement. Therefore, if they agree to incorporate a turnover rent by which the risks and benefits of economic conditions are equitably shared, all well and good. Second, it is not a great step from this to conclude that if the parties agree the principle of a turnover rent, but disagree on its detail, for example, the turnover threshold or percentage, or what constitutes turnover for rental purposes, the court is empowered to determine the outstanding issues within the parameters of the party's general consensus. And it is not bound to jettison the basic approach jointly adopted by the parties and instead replace it with a non-turnover based rent. Indeed, this conclusion is supported by the decisions in Naylor and Utoxeter UDC, 1974, and Stride and Chichita Corporation, 1960. Third, if one party, most likely the tenant, seeks a turnover rent and the other resists that, it is hard to see why the court cannot opt for a turnover rent, at least if there is evidence showing that that is or would be the prevailing market approach in respect of a letting of the subject property. This may be so because of a culture change and the associated general adoption of turnover rents, or perhaps in the light of a dearth of transactional evidence on any other basis. This conclusion squares with the stipulation at the core of section 34, namely that the rent is to be that at which the holding might reasonably be expected to be let in the open market. Logically, therefore, if the open market would see a turnover rent, the same result should follow in a 1954 Act case. In NCP and Hawksworth Securities 2016, the County Court judge held that he had jurisdiction to impose a turnover rent on the renewal of a letting of a car park. The evidence of market practice for the letting being on a turnover basis came from a tender exercise conducted by the landlord which had attracted turnover-based bids from other car park operators. This persuaded the court that a turnover rent was appropriate. However, it is right to note that objections to the claims jurisdiction are often based on the statutory disregards of A, the tenant's occupation, and B, the tenant's goodwill. It's said that a turnover rent conflicts with the fact that the rent must be set, taking no account of such matters. At first sight, these are compelling arguments. However, we would contend that on examination, they do not present insuperable hurdles to a turnover rent, albeit they may give rise to certain challenges. Take first the mandated disregard of occupation. If there is evidence that in the market, a hypothetical would-be tenant would pay X percent of its projected turnover for the premises, setting a rent on that basis does not offend the disregard because no account is thereby taken of the actual, that is the renewing tenant's occupation, 
and its real-life trade. In principle, it appears quite possible for a skilled valuer to reach an assessment of the trading potential of the premises without reference to the actual tenant's trading performance, which is derived, of course, from its own historical occupation. Indeed, in many cases, the actual tenant's trading accounts may themselves be inadmissible, although that topic could be the subject of a podcast of its own. Conceptually, there's no reason why an experienced valuer cannot form a view of the earning capacity of the premises based on admissible material, which has nothing to do with the actual tenant's presence at the subject premises. For example, there may be financial information available in respect of third party competitors, similar premises in the locality, and or regarding the actual tenant's performance elsewhere, any of which may potentially serve as a useful indicator. Turning to the prescribed disregard of goodwill, the same can also be said in this regard. By having recourse to market evidence, including turnover rents agreed by others in respect of comparable premises and businesses, it should in principle be quite possible to arrive at a turnover rent which is not based on the actual tenant's performance at the premises. In much the same way that such a rent might be set in the real world on the occasion of a brand new letting to an incoming tenant. We recognise, however, that a more troublesome issue concerns not the initial setting of a turnover rent as such, but the fact that, when such a rent is applied over the term of the lease, it will necessarily reflect the actual tenant's own performance in trading figures. A criticism may be that this not only fails to disregard the tenant's occupation and goodwill, but actively takes them into account when yielding the sum to be paid. However, a possible retort is that the Section 34 disregards are retrospective not prospective in their focus. If so, they demand only that when setting the rent, the court is blind to past occupation and goodwill, not to the consequences of future trade during the renewal tenancy. Support for this reading can be drawn from the wording of the occupation disregard. It speaks of stripping out the effect on rent of the fact that the tenant has or its predecessors in title have been in occupation of the holding. The verb is used in the present perfect continuous tense, expressing a past event with present consequences. The future tense is not deployed. And likewise with the goodwill disregard. While the language, any goodwill attached to the holding, is arguably less clear in its temporal direction, Nonetheless, there is force in the notion that again its gaze is towards the past, something underscored by the reference to the carrying on of business by the tenant or its predecessors. It can be said that the exclusion is designed to remove from account the effect of accrued, or to use the statutory word, attached goodwill, as opposed to goodwill that may accrue down the line. Therefore, there is scope for optimism that, in an appropriate case, 
the court can set a rent on a turnover basis. There is certainly much to play for in that respect. Of course, if the 1954 Act falls short and deprives the court of the ability to proceed in this manner, then perhaps it is ripe for revision and only a matter of time before the necessary amendments are made. We would suggest that there should be no fetter on the court's jurisdiction to impose a turnover rent. Besides, the time may fast come when the market has moved beyond the 1954 Act. If turnover rents become the market norm, as well they may, Parliament will need to catch up or risk the statute, if it really does set its face against such rents, becoming a fossilised relic of a bygone era. Since March this year, Parliament has indeed shown that it can quickly respond to fast-changing events. Maybe the 1954 Act will soon be in its gaze. By way of conclusion, we believe that we are in a brave new world. The scenarios we face now and in the weeks and years ahead were beyond most people's contemplation just a matter of months ago. The impact of coronavirus on the economy and in particular, retail and leisure trade, is enormous. The old ways of doing things may no longer be fit for purpose. Creative thinking is required. With that in mind, we suggest that turnover rents, which offer the possibility of appropriately balanced flexibility in uncertain times, may neatly fill a gap when it comes to the setting of rents for business tendencies. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed our podcast.